You are listening to Pandora's Box Radio with Kalia LaRoche. For more information about my products and services, counseling, coaching, hypnotherapy, books, and audios, please visit NarcissismFree.com or PathBackToSelf.com. Hello and welcome to Pandora's Box. This is Kalia. And today we're asking the question, should we ignore our natural physical attraction? Now, this is a a big topic that I've talked about with a lot of my clients. Uh, In almost all of my client sessions with both men and women who've been with narcissistic partners, there's been a very strong connection with the partner that ended up being very toxic or narcissistic. And many of my clients ask me if I think that they'll ever be able to have a connection like this again because it was such a powerful connection to them, often feeling really spiritual and um, intimate. And they, they crave that kind of connection and ask if I think that they'll be able to have that kind of connection again with another partner. That strong, intense chemistry that we often feel in these relationships that end up being toxic is very difficult to let go of, and it's easy to be left craving. The big question is, how can something that begins so beautiful, so intense, exciting, and powerful, goes so wrong so quickly. Well, in this episode of Pandora's Box, we're doing a deep dive into this powerful chemical attraction to toxic partners. The first thing we need to understand is that this kind of chemistry that feels romantic or sexual in nature is actually a dark soul tie or trauma bond depending on if you're looking at it from a psychological or from a spiritual perspective. On a psychological perspective, it's a trauma bond. If you have a lot of trauma in your family of origin or ancestry or have a pattern of attracting toxic mates, there's an unconscious attraction pattern that pulls in a partner who strangely feels like home. But we don't often consider what home actually was like for us. We typically associate the feeling of home as being safe, comfortable, and supportive. But many of us didn't grow up in a home environment that was safe, comfortable, or supportive. We grew up in an environment where there was addiction, narcissism, mental illness, abuse, abandonment, neglect, and other issues that caused us to feel unloved, unwanted, and not valued as a human being. Due to this original environment, we tend to feel an attraction and a bond with others who grew up in a similar or worse environment. At first, we may feel that all of our needs are being met. We may feel loved, cared for, and safe. But the very connection triggers fear of loss 
And the more toxic the individual is, the more he or she will react to those triggers and blame you for his or her fears and insecurities. We may have our own fears and insecurities, but many of you have been working on yourself for quite some time and have gained tools on how to manage your own feelings and reactions. However, if you're with someone who, as a result of their own trauma, have developed dark triad behaviors of of narcissism, sociopathy, and Machiavellianism, There are not only no skills to manage his or her own feelings and insecurities, there's no desire. This person has learned to offload their feelings and insecurities onto their nearest and dearest and blame and punish the very person that they're supposed to love and cherish. What we have to realize about these dark triad personalities is that there's really no incentive to do the work when somebody has that kind of a personality. So we will never succeed at getting them to change or to be accountable for their bad behavior. We need to accept that regardless of how strong we believe the connection is between us, it is a toxic connection that cannot be healed with that person. It becomes very challenging to break away because a dark soul tie is formed through sexual union with the toxic mate when it is an intimate partner. Soul ties are what bond us in marriage to another person. And this is why people used to save sex for marriage because it was meant to be an aspect of marriage due to the energy exchange that happens between two people during sex. The more intense the sexual chemistry, the greater the energy exchange and the stronger the soul tie. What happens during such an energy exchange is that we take on the energy of that person during the sexual exchange. We begin to feel what they feel and our energies are merged. So in separating from such a partner, we have to figure out what is ours and what is theirs. The crazy part is if they get sexually entangled with another person, which typically happens with narcissistic people or anybody in the dark triad, you know, sociopathic or Machiavellianism. When we get sexually entangled with somebody like that and we still have a soul tie with that person, we're also feeling that other partner's energy, the person, the new person that they brought in. And even if we've broken up with that person and they immediately move on to the next relationship, which dark triad people do, we will continue to feel their energy inside of us. And the complexity and confusion that comes from their forming soul ties with somebody else so quickly. In a sense, it may feel like they've moved on and married someone else while still married to you. And neither have gone through the proper channels of disentangling the co-merged energies. It can feel extremely chaotic to the one who's left to sort it all out, which is usually the people that I work with. 
When I talk about marriage here, I'm not talking about legal marriage. I'm talking about the union that happens during sexual exchanges, which is why we need to learn to be very mindful of who we give our sexual energy to. So when someone asks me if I think they will ever have that intense chemistry again with someone else, my answer would have to be the more intense the chemistry, the more likely that it is a trauma bond or a dark soul tie. And is this what you want? A drug addict may love the dopamine high he gets from using his drug, but also hate the dopamine crashes that happen once that drug wears off. If he decides to get into recovery, he may think, if I don't use this drug again, I'll never experience that same high again. And he's right. What we have to realize is there's an addictive energy to those dopamine highs, regardless of what our addiction is. Addiction causes us to go after those highs and then crash and use more of that substance that produced the high to overcome the lows. So we end up on a roller coaster of highs and lows. For any of you who've been in a toxic relationship, Would you say the relationship was like a roller coaster of highs and lows? If you answered yes, your relationship with this person was your addiction. You get addicted to those highs and lows. Or more, you get addicted to the high and you manage the lows by seeking the highs again. Now, it's different than a typical addiction in that it typically takes 30 days to break an addiction to a substance on a physical level. But the desire to use the substance may still be there in the background, threatening to pull us back in if we aren't in some kind of recovery program. And the recovery program's purpose is to keep us connected to our recovery so we're not so vulnerable to relapse. With relationship addiction, trauma bonds, and soul ties, it takes longer to break the addiction than 30 days. The first 30 days may be the most difficult, but the pull back to those dopamine highs of that relationship could last for years. And this is why we're so vulnerable for another trauma bond. And why do we develop a pattern of being pulled into one toxic relationship after another? It isn't necessarily that we're broken, but that we're addicted to the highs and lows that come with such toxic relationship dynamics. We have a dopamine baseline that if we go high, we feel pleasure and reward because the dopamine is, you know, the dopamine is the reward center. And if we go low, we can feel depressed, anxious, and irritable. We talk about this dopamine high and low regarding sex and orgasm in a previous podcast. And if you've been engaged in activities that are constantly providing highs followed by crashes or lows, you will naturally pursue the highs And if you experience a lot of highs, even if they were in the beginning of your relationship, 
you may find yourself chasing after another dopamine high by going back to a toxic relationship or entering a new one. And this is one of the reasons we find ourselves in toxic relationship patterns. If you're used to these toxic relationship patterns, a healthy prospect will not produce the same chemical reaction in you. So you may not interpret it as love. We often interpret those really intense chemical reactions as love. And this is the first thing that we need to make peace with. We need to understand that these really intense chemical reactions don't have anything to do with love. It has to do with our pleasure reward system. So when you meet somebody that's more baseline, that's not all over the place, that's uh, not intense in the way uh, a dark triad personality would be, you might find that you're just not that excited. You could take it or leave it. And maybe more inclined to leave it. You may find yourself bored, which can happen when dopamine levels are consistently baseline. This healthier prospect probably won't feel like home because home wasn't a consistent baseline environment. You don't feel that intensity, that same level of excitement and expectation as you did in the toxic dynamic that you interpreted as love. We often develop a belief that unless we have these powerful urges and drives within us to be with a mate, it isn't a good match. And if that relationship isn't all-consuming in the beginning, it isn't worth pursuing. If that intense chemistry is not there, then there's nothing that is there. Most of my clients report feeling bored with potential mates that may have a lot more to offer them than the toxic ones. The key to breaking these toxic relationship dynamics is to get comfortable dating people who aren't triggering that intense romantic chemistry. And this is counterintuitive, I know. But it's kind of like drinking sparkling water instead of wine or having CBD instead of THC. It just isn't going to have the same effect. When people stop drinking, they may have a period of time feeling really bored because they're used to hanging out with their friends at the bar, having drinks, partying, and having fun in the way that that environment typically produced fun. But when their drinking causes them problems and they realize they need to stop and get into recovery, life changes, and they have to find a new normal, a new baseline, which doesn't involve the constant highs and lows that they're used to. What often happens in toxic relationships is once we see these impossible behaviors emerging in our relationship partners, we get excited at the prospect of maybe healing them or or getting them to change. And we often have a belief if they love us, of course, we would be worth it. They would try. And that does not happen with dark triad partners. So we, we think that once we can get them to heal or change, that we'll have the relationship we want. And that's a fantasy. It just doesn't work this way. Because we're really the only ones committed 
to their healing. We get highs that come with the prospect that they're going to change and extreme lows when we realize that they haven't changed. Eventually, we have to give up on their changing and focus on changing ourselves, which means breaking out of our own addictive cycles and toxic relationship patterns. And this is really typical, you know, with that codependency is that our focus becomes on trying to fix and heal and change the other person. And so we're outer focused and not inward focused on fixing, changing and healing ourselves changing our own patterns of attraction. Once we've had a degree of healing and recovery from a toxic relationship, should we consider dating people we don't feel a strong attraction to initially? I feel that we should consider forming close friendships with both men and women you know, depending on your sex or what you're attracted to, that we aren't necessarily attracted to and get to know them without any intimate or sexual involvement. Get used to what it feels like to care about someone and love someone without necessarily being in love with that person. Treat them kindly and with respect, care, and consideration. Practice open, honest communication. Practice being unconditionally loving without expectation of anything in return. And I hope that you don't take that part wrong when I said practice being unconditionally loving without expectation of anything in return. You know, a lot of you may feel that you did that with the narcissistic person, but that's not really what I'm talking about because we can practice being unconditionally loving with a narcissistic partner, but we really do have expectations. We have to be honest with ourselves that we really do have expectations of that partner to return that love, to be kind to us, to be caring. You know, and and when I talk about being unconditionally loving without expectation of anything in return, what I'm talking about is not the basics. You you really should expect to be treated with kindness and respect. We don't want to get involved in relationships where the basics of kindness, respect, honesty, integrity are not there. Those are the relationships we need to leave behind. If you're an older woman past your procreation years, life isn't about procreation for you anymore, so it's time to go deeper. And the same with older men. So there's a real opportunity once you get past child, childbearing years, or if you're a man and you're, you're older, even though technically you can procreate, you might have grown children and just not want to go there, which makes sense. It's time for something different. This is an opportunity to go deeper within yourself, to go more to the spiritual. And although sexual attraction is exciting and exhilarating, it tends to have a rather short shelf life, as we've talked about in a previous episode. There's a point where we have to be able to make the leap from being in love to growing in love. 
there's a point in every enduring relationship where the couple needs to go beyond their normal sexual urges and desires and focus more on truly loving and appreciating their partner. And this is something that never happens with dark triad partners. They're in it for the thrill, for the sexual excitement to get their needs met. But when the normal fading of the sexual intensity happens, they're usually off to find the next one, even if they're still with you. Dark triad partners don't know what it is to love or care about a person. They live to get their needs met by others, and they have this level of entitlement that they should get their needs met by others without feeling that they need to do anything to meet the needs of others. So they're really takers. A truly loving partner will be able to make the leap from the heady feeling of being in love to more consistent act of being loving, caring, and considerate of their partners, but there won't be the typical highs and lows that you might experience in a toxic relationship dynamic. And I think this is really important to understand. In order to become truly relationship ready, we need to face our own addictions to the intense chemistry we find with toxic partners. And it isn't all their fault. We can't blame everything on them. We have to take responsibility for our own part in the dance. We might love that excitement and intensity and we want to harness it. We might have held on long after we should have let go. We may have tried to fix, change, and rehabilitate our partners so that we could keep the intensity alive. And although we hated the lows, the crashes, the depression, the pain, and the feelings of worthlessness, and everything that comes with these toxic relationship dynamics, we were still addicted to the next high. And so we have to take responsibility for that addiction. And many people I've worked with have gone back to their abuser just to experience the next high. It's like going back to a drug for the drug addict. And like any drug addict, the lows often become lower and more painful as time goes on, which is what leads to hitting bottom, to hitting the ultimate low. And it's often that ultimate low that gets people into recovery because they recognize they can't, they can't do this anymore. They can't survive this anymore. I've had clients who had good, stable, and solid marriages with children and relatively happy family life, but when they met a dark triad person their dopamine levels shot up so high and they felt alive and excited for the first time in a long time. And this caused them to engage in affairs, which typically resulted in the ending of their marriage and the breakup of their family. And some of my clients even lost their children. The affair was short-lived as the dark triad partner had no intention of having a marriage or committed relationship with them. So their marriage and family falls apart 
and they think they're going to build a new life with this exciting new partner only to experience the inevitable crash and ending of that relationship. So now they find themselves alone. Their ex has custody of the children and they're left in deep pain wondering what hit them. Now, when I talk to these women, they tell me their husbands were good men. They were loving, caring, and good providers. And they were good husbands and fathers. So why did they sabotage their marriages? Well, because of their own traumatic past, they were vulnerable to being seduced by the excitement and intensity of a trauma bond. They didn't experience this level of excitement and intensity in their marriages because their husbands were not toxic. So they became restless and bored because they weren't going inward to develop themselves and meet their own needs for passion and excitement in healthy ways, such as maybe pursuing a new career path or taking up a hobby or embarking on some kind of physical challenge, such as a running marathon. Unfortunately, many women who fall prey to a seduction by a dark triad man are unaware of what is going on inside of themselves. They seek the pleasure and rewards that they get from the dopamine highs of the new intense exciting connection without thinking of the consequences of their actions. And in the end, they're usually very sad and regretful, but by this time, it's too late. The damage has already been done. Now, the good news is the majority of us are doing this dance in reverse. Instead of finding a good, kind-hearted, and loving mate, and then sabotaging our relationships with intense, dark, exciting partners, We start out with a string of these dark triad partners, and hopefully as a result, we can learn how to love in a less intense, more fulfilling and stable way that doesn't produce those strong dopamine highs and lows. But we need to embark on this path consciously. In the past, we were ruled by our hormones and our chemistry, But now we need to make conscious choices and who we're willing to allow into our lives. And if we do pull in someone who's toxic, we need to learn to recognize it right away and let go when we start to notice those old familiar patterns. We need to be honest with ourselves that we have a broken picker, so to speak, and we can't leave the picking to the unconscious part of us. We need to do it manually. And that's kind of what happens when we have a broken picker. We've got to recognize that we cannot choose our relationships from our chemistry, from our unconscious. I'm not convinced that we can heal the broken picker within us in the way that most people might think. It's like a dysfunctional part of us that only knows how to pick dysfunction. I used to believe in theory that once we heal our trauma and build our self-esteem and build a life worth living, that everything would just fall into place. But most of us are like alcoholics who can never go back to social drinking. It just doesn't work. If we have that first drink, it could cause us to completely fall off the wagon. 
I heard um, the podcaster Andrew Huberman say in a podcast, it doesn't matter how far you have gone, you're still always the same distance from the ditch. So, you know, it's kind of like when you're driving down the road, you can go down the road quite a long way. You can go hundreds, thousands of miles down the road, but you're still always the same distance from the ditch. And he was referring to a friend of his who was an alcoholic and who had several relapses on the journey and realized the need to stay in recovery because he could go years and years without a drink, but one wrong move and he could end up in the ditch. Those of us who are trauma-holics continue to get involved with toxic relationship partners are also always the same distance from the ditch, regardless of how much work we've done on ourselves. And I think this is a really important piece because I have a lot of people that come to me and say, I've done so much work on myself. Why am I still getting involved in these relationships? The number of years we've been out of a relationship and the amount of inner work we do doesn't make us immune to relapse. And what happens when an alcoholic relapses? Well, if his recovery is important to him, he picks himself up and gets right back into recovery. He gets the car out of the ditch and back on the road again. We don't need to shame ourselves for relapsing. The relapse itself is punishment enough. We just need to acknowledge what happened and get back on the road to recovery. Picking a non-toxic relationship partner is like going to the bar and ordering a sparkling water instead of an alcoholic drink. Our body may tell us it wants that wine, or the beer, or the vodka, but we know we need to choose the sparkling water with lime. And in the end, the sparkling water is the healthy choice. We remain consistent and stay true to our recovery. The same part of us that would pick the sparkling water when we're a recovering alcoholic is the part of us that needs to pick a mate who we have learned through the test of time to be kind, loving, stable, and capable of sustaining a long-term relationship. We need to resist the urges to go back to the former toxic mate or forward to someone who is fun and exciting but who comes with a ton of red flags and baggage. Most of us will see those red flags within the first four to six months of dating someone. Not to say that some of us don't see them right away, but let's be fair. So we need to really consider staying celibate. And I'm going to talk more about celibacy in in an uh, upcoming podcast. I'm going to dedicate a whole podcast to celibacy. But we need to really consider staying celibate until we find someone that's worthy of us. Because sex to a love addict is like alcohol to an alcoholic. If that partner is toxic, we will take on that toxic energy into our bodies and psyches and take on all the accompanying chaos and drama. 
without this sexual component, it's a lot easier to walk away and disconnect from a mate who is starting to show really toxic behavior because we haven't merged our energies. However, our sexual magnetism to a toxic mate can be so strong and intense, it can be hard to resist. And this in itself is a red flag. So pay attention. When you feel that strong, irresistible magnetism to another person, you may want to consider taking a big step back. You may lose the connection when you do. I know this is a concern for a lot of people. Well, if I, if I don't do what he wants or if I'm not you know, available to him, he'll just go somewhere else and it's like, let him. It's confirmation that this person was not for you. Most toxic mates, especially the dark triad personalities of narcissism, sociopathy, and Machiavellianism, need to hook you in as soon as possible, unless they have someone else in the primary position. So we also need to be mindful of this. I've heard women tell me that they had a casual relationship with a man who they may or may not be aware had a partner at the time. And then out of the blue, they're being love-bombed and pursued in a very intense way. And it's likely that the primary relationship that that person had is ending or falling apart. So we need to stay mindful of this dynamic as well. Because we can fool ourselves into thinking, well, we had a friendship for a year or two or six months or whatever, and then suddenly we got involved. Well, you know, you've got to consider that that year or two that you had a friendship, you were a back burner supply. And when their primary relationship ended, you got moved to the front burner. You know about primary and secondary sources of supply, And how a narcissist will always move a secondary source into first position when the primary source is unstable. And if you truly take the time to get to know someone before giving yourself away, you will learn that he or she has a partner. Sometimes they lie about this, sure, but you can pay attention to their behavior we really are a lot wiser and more intuitive than we give ourselves credit for. In my heart, I believe we can find love at any age, but we need to first understand what true love looks and feels like. If we have a toxic pattern of attraction, we may have said no to many great potentials and only said yes to the prospects with dark triad personality types, mental health issues, or addictions. It's time to open our eyes and pay attention. True love is not as it seems, especially for people with toxic relationship patterns. It may not feel like you've met your soulmate or your twin flame or the one. It may not activate all your 
programs, push your buttons and ring your bells. It may not feel like home. Not yet. But when we learn to make the familiar unfamiliar and the unfamiliar familiar, home will take on a whole new feel. One that is truly safe and supportive. So I hope that this has been helpful for you. If you would like to learn more about my work, please visit me at NarcissismFree.com or PathBackToSelf.com. And thank you so much for listening today, and I'll see you in the next podcast. Mm-hmm.